Amen. Thank you, Pastor Riggin. And you can be seated. No sense in all of us standing. And uh, I don't know how long I'll let you sit tonight, but I tell folks at home, some of them should pay me for putting them to sleep. And, uh, but we are truly honored to be here and uh, that we would be allowed to participate in uh, this event. And uh, next year, I know it's 20 years. Uh, by the help of God, we'll be here to celebrate with you. And uh, it's a long time. I remember when I thought it was a real long time. I don't think it's all that long. But uh, it is a remarkable thing if you know anything about how churches function, operate. Uh, it is rare that somebody spends most of their life uh, pouring themselves into uh, the work of God in a single location. And uh, it's good. I think more and more we're seeing men that are staying and uh, sticking it out through the tough times. And I believe that's why some churches never get where God wants them to be because they don't stick it out through the tough times. And they have to start all over again. And I appreciate uh, your pastor and uh, his leadership. And uh, I guess he's the... Uh, apostle to Zimbabwe and uh, when you're taking truth somewhere uh, you are an apostle and uh, I was thinking about this and I may talk along these lines throughout this week but uh, he's not over there fellowshipping with Trinitarians he's converting them and uh, I don't have any problem with people being in church with Trinitarians if they're converting them but I'm not really interested in, in just having fellowship with Trinitarians and so we honor your pastor for his labor here and his wife and uh, and I was trying to remember I think I was here in the 90s some of you yeah you, you, you had kids back then now you have grown-ups but I think you've remodeled and everything looks I'm, I'm trying to put everything together and everything's so different I thought I was just old but uh, so I, I am old and it is different, but uh, we're glad to be here, and uh, it's my desire to, to do the will of the Lord this week and to, to be a, a blessing and a help to somebody. And uh, I say this most times when I'm away from home. Um, I'm not here to try and impress anybody, but I do want to help somebody. I'm too old try to impress people. In fact, I told my wife that a few months ago, so I, said, I said, listen, I'm almost 55 years old. I'm tired of worrying about what people think. I'm too old for that, and I'm about to get too grouchy for it, too. And, uh, and I just want to help somebody. I want somebody to, to find something in the Lord that they haven't found before, to get something to, to make a stride and uh, help a, this congregation and uh, this milestone year and uh, 19 years of service in uh, this place is worthy of honor. Yes, worthy of honor. Amen. And so we salute your pastor and his wife and family for the great work. I want my wife to come and go ahead and sing and then I'll try to preach. I'm a little bit rusty. I've been in revival at home. So I taught Sunday school Sunday just to try to warm up a little bit. 
God bless you. together lift our hands and love the Lord together thankful for the faithfulness of the Lord today 
God, I worship you. I love you today. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are worthy. Amen. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. And uh, I'm afraid that uh, too often we take it for granted that uh, we're here and uh, don't consider where we could be. I often say at home, uh, I wish there was a way that we could project and see where we would be if it weren't for the goodness of the Lord. If God could somehow let us see what our life would be like today if it weren't for the Holy Ghost and the goodness of the Lord. Amen. I said the closest we can get is to watch or see the people that we grew up with or ran with or whatever and they didn't serve the Lord and uh, see what condition they are in. And uh, that just gives you a little idea amen, of where God's brought you from what he's kept you from. We're going to be reading from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 again. Amen. We're honored to be here this evening and uh, want to try and be a, a help. I'm, uh, I'm more of a plotter and so I probably won't scream and run and jump uh, but I know you're used to teaching so I don't feel like I have to explain everything. Uh, Y'all are used to good teaching so I don't feel like I'm teaching trying to reach kindergartners and I know you've got a good solid foundation and uh, so we're just going to try to obey the Lord this, this evening chapter 6 of Deuteronomy verse number 1 now these are the commandments, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear ye therefore, Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. And on thy gates. God, we are so grateful for your mercy and goodness to us. Thankful to be in your house again today. God, desiring that you would speak to us and hear us. God, help us tonight. I pray your anointing upon all of us tonight that your word 
could talk to us. And God, I especially pray that you would help me this evening to be a blessing to this congregation, to this pastor. And God, I ask your help and anointing right now in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. Amen. I want to talk to us this evening about establishing uh, boundaries, establishing boundaries. And uh, it may all change tomorrow, but right now I, f- I feel uh, a, a continuity of direction for my time here. And I know how God works tomorrow night. I may think that I'm going to preach along the same lines for the rest of my life. And tomorrow God will change my mind. And, uh, but I feel like God wants to uh, just talk to us about some basic things, foundational things. And uh, uh, we cannot uh, underestimate the importance of the influence of doctrine. Uh, this uh, that we've read, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord is a foundation for everything that we believe. If we don't understand God, his nature, his essence, even we really don't have a platform to move forward in religion or the worship of God. In fact, Jesus told the woman at the once of Mary, you worship, you know not what. You don't even know what you're doing because you don't have a revelation. You don't understand some things and so God uh, established in Israel that there would be commandments that there would be statutes and there would be judgments and if you go on there are some other things that we could include there's precepts there's oracles on and on and on but uh, God wanted to create in them an understanding of the importance of law and of order and uh, all of God's law and order is founded on doctrine it is the beginning of, of what he said. There's just one God. And so uh, there's not uh, a multitude of choices in who we're going to follow and what we're going to believe. There's right and there's wrong. And if we're going to follow God, we're going to believe that there's only one God. And we're going to believe he's supreme in authority. We're going to believe that his ways are, are right. And uh, we just settle in our heart. Whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to do it because he is God. And uh, there, aren't, uh, there aren't other gods. There, there just aren't any other gods. And so we don't have options, I guess we could say. If, well, if I don't serve God, I'll, you know, I'll serve Remen or, or whoever. But there's only one God. We understand that here this evening. And so as we are on our Christian journey, we've got to understand if I'm going to serve him, All of his commandments matter. All of his statutes matter. And all of his judgments matter. And there are things that we are taught that are based on on these foundational laws and principles that we have to realize uh, they're they're not optional. They're They're not variable. There are some things that are there are no variations to. And it is our doctrine, our teaching, doc, teaching is doctrine, that, that establishes our, our boundaries. Yes. It's important that we have boundaries. Yes. I know 
I guess James Jobson has more or less disappeared. Uh, I haven't heard a lot from him lately, but uh, you know, one of his books and some of his teaching talked about children push to find out where the boundaries are. And when they find out there are boundaries, they feel secure. It makes them feel better within. They may not like how, how you deal with them approaching the boundary, but inside it gives them a sense of security and safety. And so it really shouldn't be any better or different for us as adults because we're, uh, well, most of us are a lot smarter than kids. I'm not sure in my church, I got some, I think their kids are just are a whole lot brighter than their parents. And maybe they've got switched to the hospital or something. That's all I can figure. But uh, if, if kids can understand, I need to find the boundaries and realize there's safety and security. I'm not supposed to go outside these boundaries and there's things that are not going to be allowed to come inside these boundaries. We are a country of boundaries, boundaries where I live. Uh, everybody likes a boundary. You like a nice high fence, a nice gate with a lock on it to let people know uh, you're, not, you're not welcome here. You don't, don't belong here. I live kind of out in, I guess, the country, as much as you can be in the country of Miami. And I've, I decided recently I was going to put uh, no trespassing signs on my property. I thought as a pastor it would be better than, uh, you know, we shoot looters or... You know, we shoot trespassers. I thought I'd start out very nice with it. I had thought about shooting the signs and saying, you know, this is 200 yards from my house. This is what's going to happen to you. But I want to start out a little more mellow than that. But I want to establish not everybody's welcome here. If I don't open the gate for you, if I don't allow you in, you're not welcome here. We we uh, did a little study on laws in our area and uh, because of some situations we had at our church and uh, I talked to the state attorney and he asked me about having uh, no trespassing signs on our property. I said, yeah, we, we do. We had to when we were developing the property and he said, that's good. And I said, so who's a trespasser? He said, you decide that. You're the property owner and so you decide who the trespasser is. Good. And so we, we made a little law for our uh, hospitality team at the church that anybody that comes on the property and doesn't come into church is automatically a trespasser. You've come into our land, our property, our boundaries, but you're not participating in what we're doing. You're not here to be a part of the church or of the church service. And so we have some boundaries, boundaries. I, I really don't like people coming to my church that don't want to be a part of it, that don't want to participate in it, that are, are not desiring to become what we are. And to become a part of that. And so God established boundaries are important. And the first boundaries are doctrinal boundaries. And it's doctrinal boundaries that we used to establish all of the other boundaries or perimeters that, that we live within and that we protect. We, have, we know, uh, you know, the, the castle law or doctrine is... is uh, pretty much universal in the United States. If somebody comes in your house uninvited, they're an intruder, you have the right to defend yourself. We were very fortunate in Florida to have Jeb Bush for our, our governor for a little while and, and he passed a bill and uh, he allowed you to defend yourself, your family, your property, wherever you are. 
It's, they call it the stand your ground law. Everybody in America knows stand your ground law now because of one dummy. But uh, <clears throat> we're allowed to, we don't have to run. The old law was you had to run, try to get away. And if you couldn't get away, then you, you know, once they grabbed you and stabbed you, then you could start defending yourself. But now we can say, I, I'm not going to give any ground. And so uh, we have the right to stand our ground. Say, I'm not going to let you just steal my truck. I'm not going to let you just mistreat my family or abuse my family or threaten my, my family. And so laws are good. Laws are good. We all like them until we violate them. We like them to be applied to everybody else. But the laws are for everybody. Even when we come to church, what we teach and what we believe is for everybody. Not just for those we, we think the pastor needs, you know, he needs to do something about that. Well, what if he did something about the laws you're breaking too? We, we feel different about when, when we are approached about our violation of the boundaries. The boundaries. Amen. So he, he tells Israel, we're, we're going to have laws, statutes. We're going to have all these things. And, and uh, you, you're going to have to observe these things, you're going to have to do these things so that it will go well with you in the land that God's promised you that he's going to give you. And then he established, hero is your Lord our God is, is one Lord. Here's where we're starting at. You've got to understand who I am. We don't have a committee. You can't appeal to other authorities. I'm God and what I say goes and I'm going to establish some things. And you're going to have to live by them if you want things to go well for you. And so he said, there's only one God. And then he said, you're going to have to love me. It was a commandment. You're going to love me. You want something from me? You're going to have to love me. You want my favor? You're going to have to love me. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your might. You're going to have to really love me. Because if you really love me, we're not going to have a whole lot of problems. Amen. My wife and I were going to teach a marriage uh, seminar a few weeks ago, and they, they had lack of interest, so they canceled it. <laughs> I guess their couples weren't interested in staying together. But uh, my wife said, what am I supposed to say? I said, you just tell the women to listen when I get up and talk. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Not I heard my daughter and I told him the other day, I said, you know, if women just shut up like they're supposed to, there wouldn't be any arguments. If you just shut up and listen. <clears throat> it doesn't go real well, but that's basically what God said. I'm not taking a poll. I'm God. And I expect you to love me. With all your soul, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So there's no questions about where you stand with me. And he said in these words that I command this day, still be in thine heart. We have trouble doing things that aren't in our heart. It's hard to, to spend a, well, where I live in five bucks and get roses on the side of the road, half dozen roses for five bucks. It's nice. You can be cheap and still buy, buy flowers. But it's not hard to spend that five bucks if it's in your heart to do it. Or if it's 25 or whatever it is. 
See, all roses in America pass through Miami. That's where they get imported to. So we get them El Chipo, as we say in Spanish. <laughs> but it's, it's not hard to do things when it's in your heart to do it. It's not hard to get them go to work, earn a living, to, to feed your family, if it's in your heart to do it. We don't have trouble doing things that's, that's in our heart. I, we've had an evangelist in town, and so uh, last, last Thursday I made a big sacrifice and got up at 5 o'clock in the morning and took him fishing. And uh, I, I didn't have a hard time doing it because it was in my heart to do it. And, uh, and so God said, the, these words that I command this day shall be in thine heart. This is what makes them work. Uh-huh. It's not going to work because there's tables of stone. It's not going to work because we've got all these laws written down. It doesn't matter what kind of rules and laws we make around the church, what kind of standards we have. If it's not in our heart, it's not going to work. The fact that they exist does not change us. But the fact that we get them in our heart is what transforms us. Well, amen. Uh, you know, I was thinking tonight, we wouldn't be... If we, we weren't so busy running around trying to patch the fence up all the time and get people untangled out of the barbed wire, we might could get some more done in the church. But we're always running people out of the fence. And if we get it in our heart, it doesn't matter where the fence is. Our heart says, I want to be within the boundaries. Our, our heart says, I want to do what, what God would have me to do. Amen. Well, I'm either going to preach real long tonight or not finish. <laughs> Most of you are voting for not finish, I know. <laughs> Amen. But, but here's the whole secret. you got to love me. Yes. And the things that I say, they have to get in your heart. Right. Yes. So it's not, oh, what was that? How was I supposed to dress? Uh, what time was I supposed to be to church? Uh, uh, what, what was that, to Pastor? No, it's in my heart. We don't have to, you know, come on, let's pray, folks. I made up my mind, told my folks, if you think I'm going to get up here and prime the pump and try to get you to worship, it's not going to happen. Because if it's not in your heart, if it's not in your heart, it doesn't matter. But if it's in your heart, amen, you're going to come to church and there's, there's going to be a certain sound in the house of God. Because it's in our heart. And so no matter how well we have been taught and instructed, if it never gets in our heart, it doesn't do us any good. What we know doesn't change us, but what we love does. Our knowledge doesn't change us, but our our love changes us. He said, you're going to have to get these things in your heart. And then he dealt with some things that were to preserve them. To preserve them. It's not enough for us that are here to, to know what's going on. But he said, you're going to have to teach them diligently to thy children. If we want this thing to work and, and to, to go on, we're going to have to teach them diligently to our children. Repetitive teaching. Teach it again and again and again, ingrain it 
into their thinking by repetitive teaching. Over and over and over. I know some of you work jobs, you do the same thing over and 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 over. And you don't even have to think about it anymore. I was a, uh, I like to say meat cutter. Butcher sounds so ugly. <laughs> but uh, I was a, a meat cutter for about 10 years. And uh, I worked at bandsaw and, you know, I lost a little skin here and there. But uh, I, I just became second nature. Talking to, hey, you go do this and, yeah. you know, run us up. And after I quit, I still had friends in, in the business. And so I, I'd go to uh, buy stuff and I'd, I'd go to cut my own stuff. And it's a whole lot different after several months of being away from that bench on. You pull it on, it starts. And I wasn't just zip, 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 zip. I was like, yeah, I remember. I'm missing a little bit of that thumb right there. Uh, sure don't want to lose any fingers right now since I'm not insured. And I'm not supposed to be back here doing this. But because it wasn't part of my daily routine, it became a, a little harder for me to do. And I, I was a little more careful about it. It wasn't first nature to me. I could still, all the stuff's right here. It's still, it's still here. This part here, just, uh, I'm not that my motor skills are going, but uh, it's not something I do every day now. I'm not as fast. I was the fastest meat cutter in the world. And I, back in the day, uh, but but now I don't do that anymore, and, and so it's a struggle. It's it's a little harder to do things when it's not a habit. Yes, sir. And so I said, you got to teach this diligently to your children, not haphazardly. They don't need to just hear it at Sunday school. He said they need to hear it in the morning. They need to hear it during the day. They need to hear it in the evening. They need to hear it when you're walking down the road. Amen. They need to see it on the doorpost. They need to see it on the gates. It needs to be over and over and over. Amen. Being imprinted into their mind. Ingrained into their thinking. So that's how you think. Amen. We teach the kids one God, one God. We love that. I got two, two grandsons so far. And... Uh, my daughter-in-law told me we don't get a grand... She wants a granddaughter, but she's afraid them boys will get put out in the cold. But we want to teach them one God. One God, one God, one God, one God. But it's got to go deeper than holding one finger up. They, we've got to bring them along as they grow and get the concept. Why this was so important at an early age. So when God is mentioned in their mind, oh, there's just one God. They don't think about three thrones and... It's just part of, of how they think. And so he said, you've got to get it into them as children that when, they, when you say God, they think one. Well, one God. Teach them diligently. God was commanding them. It was, some writers say it was a divine injunction. This is how you're going to raise your kids. You're going to teach them Diligently, my word. Talk about it when you sit in the house. Talk about when you're walking in the way. When the lies down, when the rise is up. It's got to be a part of life. 
Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. They shall be as frontless between thine eyes. It's going it's to affect all of your life. And it's not because it's on the doorpost. It's not because it's on the gatepost. It's not because it's in the phylacteries. He said, but these things have got to get in your heart. Right. Well, they got to they got to affect what you look at and how you think about what you see. Well, and so he said, you have to teach your children. We're one God folks. As you grow up and you get old enough to, to court or whatever you do around here. Most of our church, they mostly just hope. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Amen. And so, uh, just hold on to your hope. <laughs> so, so when you get there, you understand. It's only one God people. If they're not one God, they're not even, they're not even considered. If they're not apostolic, they're not even considered. There's been some boundaries that were established from the time that I was a child. Yeah, I really believe our, our children's friends should be in the church. Their closest contact should be in the church. The people they have confidence in should be at the church. People they trust should be people of the church. How how they get it? Because their family, their parents, ingrained that into them. Amen. This is not just a place we go a few times a week. This is our family. This is a house of God. These are people that we worship with, that we pray with. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 22 and 6. I'll try to speed up a little bit here. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not. He will not depart from it. Some writers say this speaks of a, a generational responsibility. That those of us that have children have a responsibility to make sure our children are raised right. God told Israel, this is how you raise your children. You raise them understand there's just one God. And you raise them understand that God's got that God has some laws. That God has some precepts, some statutes, some ordinances. And they're not just things written on tables of stone or on, on parchment paper. But these are things you've got to get in your heart. And you've got to love your God. And you've got to love what your God is. And you've got to love the way your God expects you to live. Well, and so he said, you've got a responsibility to the next generation. To train them up. To discipline or disciple them to help them understand this is how we live. This is how we live. It, if you get it all of me, it, 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 it literally meant to put something in the mouth or cause them to taste it. I believe our children need to get a taste for the word of God. We, uh, you know, we like ever, most churches, we, we make our Sunday school kids learn verses. And uh, I started seeing some of the, the verses. And, I, and so I, I started something new in our church. Uh, I gave them a list of doctrinal scriptures. And I said, this is what I want you to use all of their life. 
from, you know, nursery class on up. I want them reading repentance scriptures, water baptism scriptures, Holy Ghost scriptures, one God scriptures. That's what I want them to learn over and over and over. Uh, I know Jesus wept is easy to remember. But it's, it's not going to help them. And so I guess we've been at a couple of years. I said from, from the very youngest all the way through. They're going to get it over and over. And on. that's what the Bible tells to do. Over and over and over and over. Till it just spits out of their mouth. When it's a sign. I already got that one. Why? Because I've been learning it since I was three years old. Train them up. Start them young. Let them understand we've just got one God that we serve. Amen. And great peace have they that love thy laws. And nothing shall offend them or one person say, nothing shall cause them to stumble. And so he said, you've got to train up your children. You've got to put it in their mind. One writer said, you've got to initiate them in the ordinances of his ways. This is how we live. This is why we do it. I, I told our men, I, uh, you know, we have a father-son dinner. and um, Unfortunately for them, I talk about things that I think are important. We talked about state planning one year. And I told them I want everybody, every man in this place get life insurance. You can't get married without $250,000 of life insurance. You got to, the Bible says you're supposed to provide for your family. And we live in a society that gives you a chance to provide for them even if you're not here anymore. And so I want y'all to get life insurance. And then I talked to them about being a, a mentor, a father, an example to their children. And I said, when you come do stuff at the church, bring your kids with you. Samuel, from some of my readings, was only three years old, three to four years old, when he went to the temple. His mom turned him over. They said he was weaned. That was a normal time. They said he started by opening the doors and closing the doors and lighting the candles and putting the candles out at the end of the day. It wasn't big stuff, but he learned the operation of the temple. And he grew up in that atmosphere. And so I said, you bring your children with you. Whatever you do. If you clean the baptistry, bring your son. I don't care how little he is. Let him come clean the baptistry with you. We have a work day, bring him with you. Let him tag along. Hey, my grandson goes to church early, makes sure the batteries are good and the microphones and uh, instruments are turned on, all that, because that's what his dad's supposed to do. So he, that's part of his job. He gets upset if he doesn't get to go check the batteries. Amen. When, when you're four or going on five, that's a big deal. And that's how I want him to think. I want him to think this is a big deal. We're getting church ready. We're getting the house of God ready. And so from an early age, he said, you've got to train them up. You can't wait till later. Amen. I always tell my folks, if you can't handle them when they're two or three and won't do what I'm telling you when they're two or three, don't bring them to me when they're 12 or 13. Say, I can't handle them. Oh, well, you, you could handle them at 12 and 13 if you'd handle them right at two and three. You got to train them up. Said, you got to train them in the right path. This is how we live. This is how we do it. Amen. This is how we pray. This is how we worship. This is how we work around the church. Well, amen. This is what we do. You know, kids, I found kids really like to worship, but they don't like to hear preaching a whole lot. 
Our kids love to worship. They jump and carry on. And so I made a rule. If they're going to jump and all that during worship, they're going to sit up and listen to the preaching. They're not going to go to sleep when I start preaching. So tell them to start sleeping during worship or start standing awake during the preaching. We're going to do both. I want them to participate, but they're not going to jump all around because it's fun and then not listen to the preaching. Well, why? Because you're training them. This is all part of this. I tell them, if they're at home, you think they'd be falling asleep? No, they'd be playing. Oh, well. Get back. We have a responsibility to the next generation. Uh, this, this has been on my mind today, and I, uh, I read an article sometime back uh, because of getting, having to get involved with people that failed to plan to die. Um, I, I got interested in estate planning, different things, and uh, I ran across this article, and uh, you, you may have heard about They're called Dynasty Trust. Dynasty Trust. I can't remember, I think it's North Dakota, one of those states doesn't have anything else going on. They, they're the first state that, that started these dynasty trusts. And what it's for was originally is a, the mega wealthy. Instead of passing their, their fortunes down from generation to generation and getting taxed over and over and over and over again. And then having to worry about that generation not squandering it. They put this money into trust. So it's not taxed. It's not ever inherited. They, they, get a, they get a salary or they, they get a stipend, however you want to look at it. And, and every generation, that, that uh, wealth is held there. And I was thinking today, uh, it, there's got to be a way that we can preserve this apostolic heritage. So that succeeding generations would, would find something there. Amen. That it wouldn't be squandered by one generation. Unfortunately, it's been proven that, that one generation... Amen can squander everything that's been fought for for decades and generations because they don't, amen, they don't love it. Amen. So he said, you got to train up your children in the right way so that when they're old, they won't veer off the path. They won't lose their way. Amen. And it, there's a trodden way. There's a proven way. There's a worn path. That's the one you get them on. Uh, it's old and boring. No, it's not. It's a proven way. It's a good way. Well, amen. Most of us, if you've had kids, you find out they start making decisions very, very early in life. They have a sense of right and wrong. They know when they're doing something wrong and they're sneaky. And you know what? I've, you don't even have to teach them how to lie. They figure it out all by themselves. They are, they are making decisions from infancy, from very early life. They, they're training their parents. When I scream, you better do something. And when they're little, you, you know, they usually scream because there's good reason. And uh, you need to take care of it. But as they get older, they, they, they think that method is eternal. And if they don't get what they want, they, they scream. I had a couple in my church for a while, and uh, they had a kid that when they spanked him, he'd hold his breath till he passed out. I said, you know what I'd do? I said, I'd beat him till he passed out. When he came to, I'd start beating him again. <laughs> I said, he won't do that again. 
Because he knows you'll stop hitting him as soon as he holds his breath. I said, I'd beat him till he passed out. And as soon as he started coming to, I'd start beating him again. Tell him, you pass out all you want. But I'm going to beat you till you pass out. And I'm going to, as soon as you start showing signs of life again, I'm going to beat you again. He's training you. And he said, you've got to train your children. Initiate them. It learned me at the opening of the mouth of the right path. From the very beginning of their life, teach them the right path. This is how we live. From the moment they're able to think and make decisions, we've got to train them. We've got to teach them. This is, this is how it is. Amen. So he said, you've got you to train them up in the right way. And then he said, when he's old, and I know people say, well, it don't always work. Uh, we don't always do a good job. One writer said this, in committing to parents to train their children, God has, in a very important sense, committed to them the formation of their children's future character. And he will hold them responsible for the influence they exert. He said, you are forming the character of your child. And if you don't do a good job, God's going to hold you responsible. Amen. He said, when he gets old, as he grows old, he's not going to leave it. One writer said, good impressions don't wear off. Good impressions. You know, sometimes... The method dooms us to failure. Sometimes the way we try to do it dooms us to failure. But the Bible says, train, train. I believe in, uh, y'all ought to spank in Kansas, right? We can in Florida if you use your hand. Can't use, uh, not supposed to use paddles, belts. Lead, lead pipes, anything like that. But I said, when, correcting a child includes explaining to them why you're being punished, what was, what, what was the problem, and what's the right way to do it. That's training. Spanking doesn't cure it. Training does. And so he said, you got to, if you train them, if they understand the concept, as they get older, they realize, you know what? My parents were right. They taught me the right way. They start looking around at how other people are turning out. And they say, I'm glad my parents trained me right. They, you know what? They grow up to appreciate it. They don't appreciate that you spanked them. Until they get older, and then they really they appreciate when they start spanking their own kids. <laughs> good education, good impressions—they don't wear off. And so, one one writer said this: the this verse, "Train up a child," teaches the concept of assurance of habit. If you make this a habit for them. I tell my folks, never...